Welcome back to the podcast, Keegan Dillon. <laughs> thank, thank you, Michael Blevins. We do that too much. Yeah. <laughs> what, be super formal? Returning me back to the podcast. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> Fair. Uh, I don't know what we're going to talk about. I was just thinking, I was tired of writing, and I was like, I got to do something else to like like move certain things. It was a welcome text because at first I was sitting at public trying to read super training and figure out the programming for the new strength manual. And then I went home and tried to do it. And then I fell asleep. <laughs> you mean the, the, uh, five by five, the purple headed five by fives at public coffee didn't that, that place interest. is very interesting. It's changed. Yeah. It huh? uh, quite a bit, quite yeah. a bit. <laughs> Everything is just so diverse, but they still have good coffee. It's yeah. I still like blue copper better, but <clears throat> they are better. They didn't used to be. Yeah, public now. I think after the pandemic, public like kind of went to shit. Yeah, they took a weird direction. Yeah, for sure. All right, so um, we could talk about any number of things. Um, I mean, we could talk about the strength revision. That might be one way because I don't even know if we're going to release this. So I might as well talk about what we're working through. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so I, the revision. We got it all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That, so the really interesting point, um, so like uh, I got sick last week and I was like, oh, cool. I have time to work on the revision. So I started and I was like, I read through, re-edited what we had already written. And then I had basically the framework and wrote 90% of what the revision was. Like, you know, it has more to do with like modifying your joint space and applying some of the like mobility as strength as fundamental rules for like range of motion. And in reading it uh, and writing it, uh, I wanted to reference like some of the old Verkochansky stuff and I couldn't find my Verkochansky book. So I brought out the Zatsiorsky because he, I also, he had a reference for how to modify tissue. So he's like, he was a, a Russian, but he was like, further along so he was in like 80s 90s he was like a researcher but he was pulling all the original stuff from like Medvedev and um, Verkochansky and there's like three other main guys and he had what he had pulled from the conjugate system which later became the block system about how to modify tissue and I thought that was like that's one of the most interesting things that I don't think we think about and I wanted to get it the quote exactly so I went back and looked at it because there's four ways that how I understood it which is uh, max effort dynamic effort, uh, reps till failure and reps not till failure. And that people would usually be like, Oh, that sounds like West side. And you're like, yeah, they literally pulled all of that from Russian data. Right. Uh, except when I read it, he was a little bit different. He was like, there's really only three and the, only the first one really matters for strength. The other one is supportive of strength. Right. And I was like, Oh, it's like max effort conjugate system took dynamic overload and like made it work. But there's a reason why that works for their system. And then the reps to failure. And the other one is just a, a fucking worthless kind of pastime. Right. He's like, you can't use that to train in which case he starts describing training, which is you have to have a stress that you are not yet adapted to for it to be considered training. Everything else is retraining. 
or detraining. So you can't, you're like, you're either doing what you can already do, which is a waste of time, or you can in, increase the stress and that would be progressive overload, or you can decrease the stress and that would be deconditioning. And then I was like, oh man, this is so much different. And I was like, it's been 12 years since I think I first read it. I read it in 2000, probably eight or nine. Yeah, I think so when I first uh, read 12, it, 12, 13 years ago. Yeah, yeah, something like like quite quite a lot. Quite a lot's happened in between reading that back then and now. Oh yeah, a hundred. And when I was reading it, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I started reading him like this sounds like a totally different book. And I was like, I did not get. I was reading the same thing and getting ninety percent different react. I was like, oh my god, I'm highlighting the opposite shit that I sure. highlighted before. And I was like, oh, of course it's like this. What it was it was literally how Mark described rereading his uh when he like pulled that quote from Bruce Lee about the mind is primary and he like looked at it and then it essentially comes down to Bruce Lee saying the mind is primary, but it's surrounded by this idea that your feeling is actually the center that you're going off of. Yeah, isn't He's, there more to that quote or something like yeah, that? Or yeah, yeah, like keeps going and it talks basically about the effectiveness of your heart and like your like feelings or emotions. <clears throat> and it wasn't until later that <clears throat> Mark was writing Poison that he went back and read that and was like, oh, I wish I could have seen it for the first time. And I thought, I was thinking literally the same thing. So in like two days, I reread the Zasiorski stuff, uh, the SSST, because I found my Virgo Chansky book. Um, I didn't reread Super Training, but that would be, you know, yeah. Mel Siff stuff is like next because he was also who mined the data. Uh, but the most fascinating thing, what, what got me to the point where I was like, oh, I guess we have to rewrite the thing. It wasn't because we were wrong. It was, and it isn't because like I've been so frustrated with strength, uh, training, uh, because I think we originally made the mistake that now I know how to not make. And so when I first got into strength training, I jumped to like, uh, what kind of sets and reps do I do? Like, how do I get strong? It was it was about getting as strong as possible, as fast as possible, which was like, you know, I was like six sets of two and seven sets of one and maxing and all these progressions and none of them really worked. Right. I mean, they, they did. Like, yeah, I, they definitely did not work. Right. Uh, like, I legitimately put 300 pounds on my deadlift. So, and, and like, that was after a couple of years of training and doing it incorrectly and all of the stuff that we, <laughs> that we now kind of jump to. And then when I started reading all of the material on it, um, I recognized that the two things that they warn about up front, first and foremost, they're worried about specificity and accommodation. Those are the two things that they were like really struggling with with like preparing the most elite athletes in the world. Can you explain specificity and accommodation? Since I feel like when people hear conjugate and accommodation, well, they yeah. think bands and chains, which isn't what we're talking about. I, I mean, to a point it is, but sure. essentially like specificity means like you can only train or overload the thing that you're training to overload. So in this context, when people are using a barbell to get strong, the reason they're using it is because it became popular in strength sports. But the strength sport, the sport is a barbell. So their training with a barbell makes total sense. It is one-to-one -one specific. But to use a barbell to increase like jumping and sprinting, this is a different mechanism. And it, it, like if you look at the Verkochansky literature, it's a secondary effect. It's not a primary. And that, that way they would think of a barbell as supportive to the actual specific sport. 
I was looking through that this afternoon, and I found it interesting how heavily after like basically experimenting with all their athletes, they started to rely on depth depth jumps for increasing power Mm -hmm. in track athletes. And I like the analogy of they wanted to build strength that a deer would have, not strength that a buffalo would have. And they were equating like the springiness of a deer to what a track athlete needs. And then like a power lifter needs to be a buffalo for, you know, just context, but... Yeah, I think yeah, I, th- I think that's uh, I remember that analogy and uh, like their metaphor of using that, thinking like that. Well, these are different qualities, and and then later, like now, uh, I think the stuff that FRC is doing, they're looking at the quality of tissue. So, where I think it's not that they never made any mistakes in the Soviet system. It's just like they had so many good things that we like, kind of stopped looking. Yeah, we're like, oh, this works. People can have thousand pound back squats if they use this method. So like. W- w- you can't get any stronger. And I have to assume everybody that's gone through that literature did or does what's happened to us where like you read it in the context of where you're at. Yeah. And then you go through some shit, you spend 10 years doing this, you reread it, your thoughts and ideas on what training is have changed. And all of a sudden you start picking out things that you just glanced over in the past because now you get it. Yeah. Now I, now I like it took 13 years to, to have a perspective that gives me like, I I guess like a valid opinion, right? It took 13 years of fucking around to be like, oh, okay, I know what they're talking about now. That is insane to me that like, and <clears throat> I think the reason being is that we were making like, we're making the same mistake back then that we see people make now. Mm-hmm. Now, if I, because we already talked about this, I was like, if I ever put this in the context of endurance, I would never make this mistake because my history in endurance sports was vast right from the get-go. And in order to get progression, you understood immediately the downsides of uh, developing like a specific endurance base and the upsides. So you know how to bit like, I know how to prepare for pretty much any distance race, right. which is like kind of the load part. In strength, and I got strong, but I would never say like I was not like, for sure not world, not even like national level strong. There was like one point where I could have qualified for like American Open or something. My total was enough to go uh, to, to nationals for one year because I had like they dropped the standards, and then I yeah. was like, and then that I was that when they reconfigured yeah. everything, and then all of a sudden everybody <laughs> was an American Open weightlifter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, no offense, two thousand is two thousand. Uh, 14 and 15. Yeah, yeah. Yep. You remember? That? Yep. And that was like, uh, you know, the, I only say that I qualify at that. I didn't actually, like, because I never pulled those numbers in competition. But my totals were around like national, low national. <laughs> were you weightlifting specifically? Like, is the majority of your yeah. training back then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was doing it like kind of unorthodox because when I had tried to go back and apply these concepts, I had missed a whole lot. Um, and to be fair, like, most of what they're talking about in um, this development is talking about either uh, specifically Olympic style weightlifting, powerlifting, or track and field sports. Like that, that's where the majority of this stuff comes from. So you're talking about pure strength um, and, and, and power, and then like speed, what they call speed strength. Do you think one of the biggest differences from the way you view that book now is you're not looking at it as an athlete, Mm -hmm. trying to figure out how to be a better athlete. You're looking at it as a coach, educator trying to figure out the best way for people to actually train to get the most out of life. 
Yeah, I think I think I'm looking at it from the perspective of I need other people to understand this how I understand it, but I'm not even I'm not sure how I understand it. I just know that like when I hear about a squat program, I'm like fuck that thing, or or like <clears throat> you know do the smolaver. This is how I got strong and these five steps. I'm like they're full of shit. Yeah, and like, it's, it's totally like we're pulling data from elite athletes yep. and overlaying it on top of soccer moms and working dads and somebody's going to kill me for yeah. describing two people that way but you know what i mean for sure um, yeah soccer dads and working moms whatever you want to call it you know what i mean and that's always been one of my biggest hang-ups in the way i see you know i'm going to say crossfit gyms and i i'm not knocking crossfit that's just i just say we're applying it to the the karens and the cody's <laughs> But when I look at CrossFit gyms, and again, not knocking CrossFit, but the gyms I've been in, not all of them, but a good majority that I've seen, it's kind of like we're doing the same thing <clears throat> where we're, you know, CrossFit started one way fucking, what, 20 years ago now? Yeah. And it's evolved into like, we're still treating everyday folk like they're athletes. Yeah. And they're not. Yeah. You basically have like games, competition style training that's like... <laughs> <laughs> reduced down to what you can do in 45 right you're hour. like oh we pulled out two metcons but it's <laughs> still strength accessory accessory metcon and yeah. i'm as guilty of that as anybody 100 percent. and and if you're like oh i want to be a competitive athlete at this like day-to-day -day box they'll basically just like triple the workload yeah and think like well yeah now you're doing what games athletes yeah, they're like do. here's three more metcons come in during open gym and you're good to go yeah and i'm sure there's progressions to it and reasons behind it and again it's not inherently Maybe it is inherently wrong. I it's think not, it is. Yeah. It's not completely wrong, but it's definitely not right in my view. I, I think it's. I think it's one hundred percent wrong. And and the reason being is like the, they come back to the specificity thing, um, training specifically for stuff. Now CrossFit is not a specific thing. It's multiple energy system, which is it is its own sport. That's why it is its own sport. It but it it should have its own approach. I think you'll see. I think this is true. You'll see the most dominant athletes in. CrossFit who have a background of strength when they weren't doing CrossFit. Sure. So they developed strength specifically and then they developed aerobic capacity in the strength sport and maintained their strength levels. That that is what they would argue in the Russian system the only way to do it. You have to be very methodical about not poking too many things within a block periodization. That is the conjugate system, which I think you would know and we'll get into the accommodation because I think that's important when you're when you are like prepping a bench, a deadlift, and a squat, it is very, very tricky because they're all very, very different things. You can do it if you cycle them correctly and you are paying attention to which movement is accommodating faster and you switch the stresses on that movement so it continues to progress and then you pull away at the right time, correct? Yeah. That's within one energetic system. That's how complex it is. Now take that, times that by, <laughs> let's call it, yeah, let's call it like, eight movements for strength just because there's going to be your uh clean your jerk your snatch your bench your squat your dead and then add in yeah, and you got thrusters yeah. and add overhead the, squats yeah and, exactly yeah. the variations of all of those that's the one system that you're all trying to get uh strong at and i mean like you need a high potential for you know if we call a potential let's say I, I think to compete in CrossFit, you need like a 50, 60 potential, like human potential of those lifts. So if the max cleanager for weight class, what is it right now for like a 200 pound male? 
Um, like Olympic level. It's like I think you're close to a 450 snatch. Yeah, I honestly don't know. I think you need a 300 pound snatch. Yeah, oh yeah, right? that's in CrossFit for 50, sure. 60 percent. Yeah, and uh, if you're clean and jerk, they're clean and jerking five in the 500s. I'm trying to think. Uh, Illa Ilian was like 560, so he was like extreme. Yeah, so we're talking high threes, low fours. Yeah, which I think you're saying. So you need like 50 to 60 percent potential of like what a human would be capable. In you essentially need like American Open qualifying numbers yes. for your weight class to go compete in a totally different sport. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you're looking at like, man, just to develop that, some people like that would take me, that would be all of my ability to be able to hit that like 60% potential. I think I could do it, but I was on my way up of those numbers. It would have taken maybe a couple years and I probably would have been, you know, I was only five, 10 pounds off the 300 pound mark. And I was about 60 pounds off of the, like the 380, 400 pound mark. Mm -hmm. And I was like, and that was inconsistently, but I could hit it every once in a while when I felt good because my training was so fucking random. On top of that, you're then needing like metabolic conditioning in the ranges of two minute efforts to, you know, 30 minute efforts. Right. If you're going to be games athletes and then endurance on top of that. So when people are like, oh, I just do all of it every day, I was like, I think that's the worst approach. Yeah, it's, it has to be so confusing to the body mm -hmm. in a way that limits adaptations because it's, you know, strength in the morning, maybe conditioning right after or then conditioning yep. in the afternoon. And I get there's only so many, you know, hours in a day, days in a yep. week. But we have this like immediacy yep. to be like, we have to do it now as opposed to, you know, like the Matt Frazier, Rich Froning. Mm -hmm. Rich had a base of yep. strength and conditioning before Speed, yep. he found CrossFit. Yeah, baseball. Right? Baseball yep. player. He was into strength and conditioning mm -hmm. as it was, so he probably did a lot of bodybuilding style movements, a lot of running, conditioning, things like that. You know, Matt Frazier at a younger age was a national level weightlifter. Ten years, yeah. So that's, you know, those are skills he doesn't have to develop yeah. while developing what he needed to develop for CrossFit. Yeah. And I think people see like how fast he came on the scene. And obviously he's a freak, right? He just, sure, yeah. you know, between mindset and physiology, like he has things going on other people don't. But he also had a decade of weightlifting behind him. So, I mean, how much different does training become when you're not really working on the technical aspects of a movement, maybe here and there, but it's not like you just found a barbell and you're just learning how to snatch, yeah. plus getting in shape, plus putting on muscle, plus taking care of yourself and like all of these other things that, you know, I think people just want it now. So yep. it's, you know, here's an entire program as opposed to blocking things off and spending time actually learning and practicing the movement correctly before yep. adding more stress, more intensity um, to those things. That was one of the interesting things. So like aside from, cause that's a concurrent system, which I think most people want a concurrent system. Like, general physical preparedness is like most people's kind of goal even if you're in crossfit it is gpp it's like a high degree of gpp it's like yeah it's like high skilled gpp yeah and it's very geared towards you know it's very biased towards aerobic uh, uh, conditioning uh, or aerobic capacity whatever however you want to frame capacity work um but for the most part even if if you if you stay in your lane your subject it's not like they didn't think about these things and so it's like Verkochansky was trying to apply his methods to endurance athletes and seeing the reaction from it. And they were mostly seeing negative effects because it was really hard to like get that person to commit to a certain period of time where they would develop strength that would actually benefit their endurance work. And I think 
why I think this is relevant is because what do we see today is we're, we're starting to see people like kind of like cross migrate strength and conditioning into sports like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, like me and George talked about that's happening right now. And you're seeing people just bastardize the shit out of these, these systems. And you're like, man, that's not going to help. And you know it, like, I'm glad people are interested in uh, varying their sport or like fixing deficiencies because I think they need to become stronger, they need to become more resilient. But essentially what I'm talking about is uh, the problem that I kind of like reread about and saw for the first time that they identified originally in the 1950s, which was like uh, accommodation is a big problem. Like, you know, when you're talking about uh, accommodating resistance, and that's how most people I think are familiar with it, the West side, like why that was such a strong thing for West side to apply and why we think of it as bands and uh, chains is because they're trying to move the stimulus to the weakest part of the lift always, because that's how fast you accommodate. And the original literature was very, very specific. And it didn't just mention it in passing. It was like the biggest problem they face is basically every four to six weeks, you need to change the intensity or the exercise completely. Now, in CrossFit, um, they think that there's variability because every day you're doing different movements and quote unquote different time domains or whatever. Sure. But essentially, the the signal is so muddy that there's actually no different. There's no variability. It's the same thing over. It's the same intensity, the same pathways. Right. Over and over, over Instead again. Instead of a light thruster, it's a wall ball right. or a front squat or you know you know keep going down the list and you can start yeah. putting two and two together quite easily. Yeah, hinge squat, and then some people be like, oh well, I do single leg work, and you're like, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about do you actually develop? those exercises, because that is what an exercise for. An exercise is to develop your physiology. That's the purpose behind it. It's not meant to just do, right? You're not doing it as a pastime. And this is in rereading it, I see a lot of the traps that we have fallen into just by trying to like uh, talk about longevity and keep this thing going for a long time. I think we have fallen into quite a few of the traps that uh, a lot of people do when we forget kind of the root of these problems that they figured out in the 50s and 60s and 70s. And you're like reading it, I think one of the most profound things um, besides the specificity and the accommodation thing is reading about the general physical preparedness that they required to be, so the path of acquiring a mastery in sport was kind of like the Russian methodology, mm. uh, which yeah, they're gonna like foster kids from age six, just like China does now, and they're gonna take the physiological like breadwinners, and they're gonna move them up. But what they're also talking about is like they're not applying specific sports for years and years and years. So you would have to become I don't know what the it's not master of sport, but it's pretty close before you would start your specific training. So you're talking at least three years mm -hmm. out of twelve are dedicated towards generically developing the physiology. So we're talking an aerobic system, we're talking about um, fine motor skill recruitment, and we're talking about not touching the implement that they're gonna specialize in. Not not letting that be the stress yet because you accommodate. Yeah, don't they like snatch with broomsticks or some yeah. shit just to develop Awkward. the movement pattern, yeah. but they yeah. don't. Just to see the movement pattern. Yeah, they're not actually loading it or you know anything like that. No, and if they did, I think what they would run into is a big problem. Right, and this is the problem. Like, man, I would say the same things. Like, I developed a snatch pretty fucking quickly. I had a very long background in endurance and GPP, right? And then 
I could apply the snatch, but then I got to the point after maybe three or four years, that thing was accommodated for. Now, I was I was pretty good about finding the weak link, changing it, um, changing the stress that I was facing. So I had already started to do accommodating resistance, pulling from blocks, pulling from deficits, mm-hmm. uh, doing modified versions of the lift. Cause, and that was a natural progression because I noticed that the lift, the full lift itself was not progressing if I just lifted the full lift. I needed to do drop snatches and hang snatches and uh, tall snatches and snatch pulls and panda pulls and all of these things. And then it would translate into a bigger lift because I needed to modify the exercise in order to progress it. You were and, essentially finding your weak points yeah. in those lifts and then attacking them. Every day, that's what I did. Yeah. And th- that was probably the mistake is I looked at it on the day of on the day I felt like I couldn't pull hard. I would use power, but the Russian system would be like, that's too varied. You need to identify that power is the problem. So you're going to do power snatches for four to six weeks. Right. And you were just kind of like triaging it in the moment based on how you felt that day. Yeah, exactly. So which given what you were doing for work back then running all over the place, like you probably felt like shit more often than not. Oh yeah. Like I, I don't think I've ever been more at risk of injury. (laughs) You know, I was strong, but man, any, if I sneezed or looked the wrong direction in traffic, I'd be like, oh, oh fuck, I there it some. is. All right. Brought home today. <laughs> yeah. And I would, and you know, I would get it treated and I would come back, but anybody looking from the old system would be like, his foundation is off. I had lost my general well-being, And I think you could say the same thing about how barbell stuff has started to actually very much harm you. Cause I've, and I would say today, same thing. Uh, if I start snatching and progressing the snatch, I get hurt pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. The reason being is I have overdeveloped that movement, and I haven't I haven't yet um, kind of gone back and fixed the accommodation that I think that. Yeah, uh, I'm definitely in the same spot. Like I can go back and bench, but also my shoulder hurts right now. Yeah. from benching. Fuck, three weeks ago, yeah. maybe four at the most, and it's still aggravating me and irritating mm-hmm. me and. My best guess is the muscles that I worked for benching still have a lot of that, you know, sort of muscle memory, even though I haven't done it in a long time. Yeah. So it's almost like I can get in trouble because I can still do it at a weight that's too much. Mm-hmm. And I think all everything else, the joint, the tendons, the ligaments are they're so far behind now because I haven't done a lot of that stuff. Yeah. That it's more I'm more at risk for injury because I haven't done anything to kind of <laughs> that's, triage that or take care of it. That's the other thing that they talk about in this. It's like when, when people get injured, the the first mistake they, they make is they keep going. So they further the injury. The, the second biggest mistake that they make is they quit completely. And there's their approach to like injury or getting hurt or off seasons is to continue to exercise in the complementary fashion. Sure. Right. To like keep the body going because like the, like they're doing all of this work for a theoretical peak at some point. And this might be the big difference. And the, the, I would even compare this to like how general populations, they, they think they want to be strong. They think they want to be fit. They think they want to be lean. And I go, you have to be very careful with um, how you achieve any of those things. And all, like you need to define those for yourself as to what they actually mean. Yes. To me, and I think going through that's a very, and it could be represented by an expression of strength like a deadlift, who cares? I think that's a poor way to put it because I think it's like kind of, it's it's narrow. Like it doesn't, like I was picking up, I uh, moved my freezer today from my old house and I like picked up this box of meat from like a five inch deficit and the box was wet and slippery. 
And it was like, it was probably like 130 that pounds. gross. And I was like picking it up and I was like, where's that knurled fucking barbell that I like could just easily. Yeah, where's this even loading that's perfectly <laughs> balanced. And... <laughs> it, felt like, it felt like a 400 pound deadlift to me. And sure. I was like, either I'm really weak or no, this is what the real world application of strength looks like. And what let me know that I'm strong is I was not worried about it. Right, like I didn't think twice about picking it up. I was just like, "Oh, this is an awkward position." Yeah, because how how strong are you if you're perpetually worried about throwing your back out, tying your shoes? And that is that is the at the attribute at work psychologically is confidence in the face of adversity. Now, like a box of meat is not real adversity, right? But but I would put in another context when somebody grabs my arm to rip it out of my shoulder in like jujitsu, I am not worried about it. Sure, like I don't even think twice about it. That being said, I do have like a week left knee right now. And when people grab it, I, that hesitation, lets me, that lets me know that it's actually a problem. Yep. And I'm like, okay, like then I need to work on, I need to strengthen it somehow. So how do you like go about strengthening something that you perceive as weak? And that becomes the big question to our strength manual. First of all, how do I prepare for strength? Which is, I think, overlooked and glossed over because any person on the internet can type into chat GPT, how do I get strong? Yeah, and I, I mean, we obviously do it with aerobic conditioning and capacity and helping people build a base before they mm -hmm. start getting into intensity. And I don't think we missed it completely with the strength manual, but I think we missed, we definitely missed the preparation part. And I think at least I thought like, oh, we're going lighter, we're doing more reps. We're still doing squat, bench, deadlift, yeah. overhead press but we're doing them at different percentages, lighter percentages. So you're like, oh, we are doing it. Yeah. And then you're like, or we're kind of just doing the same thing over and over, which is then going to increase that accommodation regardless yep. of what you know percentages of the loads are. Yeah, the, the exercise is the exercise, right? Your body, it needs to map it. It needs neurological efficiency to some degree, but too much and, and, there, and without a plan to vary it and you run into trouble. Now, if we were going to like prep somebody to compete in Olympic style weightlifting, it would be mapping that pattern quickly, right? As quickly as possible. That would be knowing that in two to three years, they'd be out of that sport. Now, if we're gonna take a child and have them do the same thing, we would treat it completely different, right? We'd be like, I don't want, if if I needed that child to be a you know a, an Olympic hopeful, because I don't think you can really like plan anything but, uh, but we, we go, oh, we identify all the attributes that are important for Olympic style weightlifting. If we, if we want them in the next 10 to 12 years to be hitting Olympic hopeful status, <laughs> how are you going to have them snatching that soon? <laughs> I'd have them do fucking gymnastics. 100%. Yeah, I'd have them running backwards. I, I've got the most ridiculous exercises just to get them fit. You first started talking about that, my, Matty Rogers popped into my head. Mm. And as far as anybody in the last decade that we've seen kind of come and go as an Olympian hopeful, Olympic hopeful, or, you know, somebody that's at the top of the sport in this country. She's the only one that's continued to progress and continue to get better for an exponential amount of time compared yeah. to just about anybody else in the sport. Um, and I mean, she had a massive, I think she did gymnastics, then possibly competitive cheer. Mm -hmm. Then she found CrossFit and through CrossFit found weightlifting. Yeah which was almost like she did that inadvertently and found sort of like she built a base mm -hmm. of body weight strength, body awareness, which is also very important. And then, you know, I'm sure got into conditioning, things like that with CrossFit, and then ultimately landed on 
weightlifting maybe I don't know eight to ten years ago I think yeah I might argue that like Matt Frazier and Rich Froning did kind of the same yeah 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 yeah, 100% yeah Yeah, I was just thinking weightlifting specific (laughs) yeah that's finding it the opposite way and maybe uh, uh, Alex Lachance too the same thing yeah yeah and that's I would argue that CrossFit's probably a really great, not competitive CrossFit today, but CrossFit as a methodology originally, I think it's probably a really good GPP program. And I think the Soviet system would probably agree with that. They're like, yeah, throw a bunch of exercises at somebody and then move them around and, you know, jump a little bit and do this a little bit and then lift some weights and then. But I mean, even what, back in 2003 or <laughs> four or five, and Chris Warden, if you hear this, you can yell at me if I'm wrong. Hmm. But I mean, like a workout would be like, Three, 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 strict press. Yeah. And that was, you know, you'd warm up, you'd be showing the movement. Yep. You would do it and then you'd be done. Yeah. And now it's strict press, Philly press, overhead, (laughs) you know, single arm press, standing on your tippy toes. Like we just keep adding and adding and adding. Yeah. And I think that the mistake there is that you're not doing just, you're not giving, you're not giving the exercise a chance to modify your physiology you're just doing exercise and you're doing a lot of the same movement yeah it might look different because you're holding the kettlebell in one arm or it's got a dumbbell or maybe you're using a kettlebell but ultimately it's pretty much the same linear path that you're using i mean how i'm looking at it now is that we've somewhat to some degree gotten fascinated with just like finding new variables of exercises that we like end up in the same trap. Right. And like when I think we're talking about these problems, like I'm using CrossFit as a poor example, but I'm also using ourselves as like, we kind of overdevelop things and we mix things up too much. Um, That's because we're just getting people interested in it for the most part, keeping people interested in training or trying to figure out ways that they can like get more longevity or think about these problems. And I think the best, the best use of our practice is to identify the pitfalls that people fall into, right? And rereading, it's not like I don't think our strength manual works. I think it it fell in line with a lot of other programs that just go, cool, do the movement and progress it like this, which is like just different ideas on progression, but no different ideas on like how to prepare to be good at that mm-hmm. thing or why you would be good at that thing. And I think that's and what also I like address. why to limit doing it. Yeah. And why you don't need to do, you know, deadlift, back squat, bench mm-hmm. 365 days a year. Yeah. And I was going to say, unless you're a powerlifter, but even if you're a powerlifter, that variance is needed so you can prolong your time in that sport if that's what you want to do. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that Verkochansky talked about with his track athletes is like they would beat them down so hard with strength training and gym training that by the time the spring came around, they were like jumping at the opportunity to do the sport. And that's how it should be. And then when it was winter, they couldn't do their sport. So they'd go in and train artificially. Yeah, it was actually when you went to go get your Sour Patch Kid cough drops. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking about basketball and how, I mean, all sports with basketball popped into my head. And, you know, they do their season, 82 games plus playoffs and finals. So, you know, you're looking at, you know, with the preseason, they're probably playing over 100 fucking Mm -hmm. games of basketball. And then when the off season comes, they're not playing basketball, the game. Right. They're figuring out their deficiencies, what they need to work on, build strength, get in better shape, work on various moves, like whatever the thing is. And you obviously can't do it in one off season. Right. No. So you I'm assuming you pick things to work on. Like Jason Tatum's a player for the Boston Celtics that I thought about. He came into the league from Duke, looked like he weighed about hundred and you know, thirty pounds soaking wet. Huh. 
he's probably 200, 190, 200 now. So he added size, mm-hmm. which developed his ability to go to the hole better, which then he overlaid on top of that, you know, developing moves that he could now do based on the size that he had gained and mm-hmm. the strength relative to the players he's playing against. And it's kind of like we should start doing that for regular people. Uh, my thought on it is that if we really want people to develop and have like longevity in this stuff, we should really be careful with like how much we beat down people with exercises, mm-hmm. how much we beat down exercises with people. Because <laughs> this is probably another way to put it. And also like vary it in a way that makes actual sense. Like training should change your physiology, period. Yeah. And if it doesn't, if, it, if, if you're not changing physiologically, you're not actually doing it. And I think a lot of people, us included, uh, it's like I've used training to modify my body composition or maintain my body composition or maintain muscle mass. And I, that is not the point of it. Your training should change you your lifestyle should keep you where you want to be. Right. And so yeah, now I like when you made that distinction the other day. Yeah. It's, and the more I think about it, I'm like, oh, like, I know this is true. Like I, I've been dealing with it for years to be like, okay, I don't have time to train like how I want to, like if given my own advice, I'll train all day. Cause I fucking love it. And I have like the energy to do it with other obligations. I can't just like go run for two hours in the morning and then lift weights all night or whatever. Right. So you got to figure out what works for you. So you can keep moving all day. Yeah. So yeah, I have to like build in a pattern where I can like walk to work or what, you know, uh, walk to lunch. Essentially I need to, I probably need to walk probably five to six miles a day if I want to keep my body composition and then training would actually get better. Do you think it might be too soon to tell, or maybe you haven't thought about it? Do you feel better now, physically and mentally, that you've moved and you can walk to and from work, as opposed to like, Driving I mean, based on where you guys live and how shitty the fucking traffic is here? I mean, what you get here at eight, eight thirty, mm-hmm. and then you're here till eight, eight thirty, uh-huh. and a lot of the times sitting in a podcast chair, yep. sitting at your desk, yeah. sitting in an office, it wasn't a ton of movement. And yep. I know you're very mindful of that, so you're trying to do what you could, but also like. You know, rabbit holes happen, and all uh-huh. of a sudden, you're three hours at a desk talking to somebody or looking at something. Oh God! Where now you can? Oh, I'm going to run home and work. Mm-hmm. Which you know what? It's round trips, probably a mile, a little over, yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's which isn't a ton, but it's more than most people walk in a day, regardless. Yeah, I, I mean, I walked it twice yesterday, just like back and forth, and I was like, oh God! I think the biggest thing that I noticed just from like increasing uh just like non-formal training movement which i've tried to work really hard at but you're right you get stuck at your desk and i got to get something done it's like days and weeks go by and before you know you're like oh fuck i haven't because they're not like habits at that point no but just moving i was like the nagging like backache went away like you know it's just like always you wake up in the morning it's always a little bit sore (laughs) i have it right now yeah it's, it's just a little bit too sore for comfort where you're like I'm not worried about it, but I know I need to warm it up before I like lift a weight. Right. That's annoying. Uh, that's gone completely away. Um, other than that, I think I don't worry about trying to get training in. Like I wait till I want to train, mm-hmm. which is every day. Right. But I want to do it. Like I'm like excited to come and be like, oh, cool. We can like throw down. And it doesn't mean like I always I'm not. I'm not like going a hundred percent, but I want to lift weights. I want to try new exercises. I want to, you know, see, I want to test my math. My, I want to see where I'm at aerobically. I want to, it's not hard training, but it's interesting training. Yeah. And that's kind of where I lost the, the gist, gist is the wrong word, but like 
I kind of fell out of love with training in the mm-hmm. last year, year and a half, because it just felt like I was doing the same shit over and yep. over. And I was. Mm-hmm. I was 100% doing the same thing. It might have looked different on paper, mm-hmm. but it was still capacity work. Mm-hmm. It was still on a salt bike or Concept 2 machine. It was still for like an absurd amount of time mm-hmm. or you know calories or whatever. And it, it moved the needle a little bit, probably because it was feeding my ego a little. But it just like I wasn't into it. I didn't necessarily want to do it for me at least. I don't know if I was looking for fucking pats on the back or high fives or, you know, some sort of glorification of my efforts. But coming back here, especially with the FRC stuff Mm -hmm. um, and kind of like the weird movements we're starting to play around with, like that is intriguing to me. Yeah. Because it's like, ooh, I've missed something and this feels useful and it looks useful. Yeah. And like today, I mean, if you saw the board, you'd be like, oh, it would take 10 minutes. And it was like an hour. Hour yep. and fifteen plus, yeah. and you know we weren't frantically running around trying to fit everything in. It was just like you know, kind of go at your own pace. And my left shoulder's been bugging me; feels yeah. better now. Yeah, and like going through things, like it feels more like an exploration than just like the same fucking movement pattern over and over. This is the this is like one of the biggest things. Like um, your daily practice should make you feel better overall. Mm-hmm. I, if I stop feeling good. I really like look at that because you can, I have the same tendency to be like, take out aggression and frustration and training, just go hard and do like hit, like hit heavy weights and throw things extra hard because it feels good to kind of like exorcise. I feel like it's kind of the easy way to do it too, yeah. right? Like it's, yeah. it, and there's, I'm sure there's an addictive component to it, but it's easy, at least for us to go hard, yeah. right? Like to put a workout on the board that looks yeah. fucking terrible and then, you know, 45 to 90 minutes later, we're all like, yeah, that was terrible. Yeah, everybody's pissed. But I already, like, <laughs> I know how to do that. Yeah, yeah. I don't need sure. to do it every single day. No. Like, I'm excited for this, like, aerobic block that we're doing or capacity work and then the internal strength stuff that we're practicing to see, like, when we get back into yeah. higher intensity capacity stuff, like, how I actually feel. Yeah. Like, I'm almost getting the itch, sort of what you were just talking about, to, like, want to start going hard again i know i'm not there and i got things to clean up and injuries to take care of but i'm it's it's becoming more intriguing to start getting back into yeah you know probably in months for me but to actually want to have those feelings and sensations again that i shied away from for the past two years or so but if you don't have though if you don't have that like internal motivation to like God, something's wrong with the system. And mm-hmm. this is this is the problem. It's like most people come to fitness because they're already broken. And then we just break them with the new modality. In in general, like they're 99% of clubs and gyms and whatever you're going to go to that even have instruction are going to instruct people improperly of how to take care of themselves. Because to be honest, they need to show results. And if you need results, you go to maybe the soviet system to up their deadlift very quickly um but then you know sure you showed them how fast they can improve it but then where do they go you don't care anymore right i I also think people don't know where to go from there yeah like i I don't think coaches know where to go right yeah i mean once i put 150 pounds on your deadlift now what do we do yeah mostly yeah to teach you how to animal move and it's almost like we create our own problem because you you know you add x number of pounds to somebody's back squat Mm -hmm. and then now like you almost feel like you have to do that for everything yeah and all you're really doing in them is teaching one specific movement to do which isn't necessarily carrying over like a better quality of life no and most of it doesn't and that's why i said that's why i've come back to like 
your quality of life stuff comes from your lifestyle stuff. Like how I want to look, how I want to feel when I wake up. That has to do with diet, sleep, sun exposure, walking. Yeah, movement. And like, yeah, the, just your ba- how much you're moving throughout the day. Training is like, you know, I'd like five more pounds of muscle mass. Cool. That's why you should train to do that. Right. And you're not going to get it in a month. No. Like we're going to take our time, put it on the right way. Like yeah. you don't need to do some pizza bulk with McDonald's, like <laughs> up your protein, have pizza a little more bulk. calories and, and do it in a way that is meaningful and not just like hurry up and get there. Yeah. I, I, that, that was, I mean, that's where the, the strength stuff uh, that we're revising, at least for me, has like clarified about it's kind of interesting that i mean just the the premise of going back and reading the old literature that i i just think about it like oh i was reading through it because i wanted to know how to do it for myself so i was skipping all of the cautionary advice from these people who had been doing this for almost it, you know 50 60 years we're literally like running essentially lab experiments yeah. on elite athletes to figure out what worked and yeah. what didn't work to the and i i saw some of that and it was like don't ever do more than 20 to 40 uh, depth jumps off of more than like a, yeah. a you know a meter uh, drop and i was like cool noted so it's not like i missed all of it but I completely missed the part where they're like, you shouldn't lift a barbell unless you've had three years of general conditioning. And I was like, and maybe I maybe I skipped it because I felt like I had three years. Yeah, which I'm sure you did. How I feel is like people who have been training in a gym for years, they think they've been doing the thing. So, but they might be um, frustrated because the barbell isn't as heavy as they want it to be or whatever the thing is. And so they're like, cool, I'm going to find a program. But you're like, no, you've been doing it wrong for three years. You need yeah. to do it right for three years. You, you weren't specifically like prepping your body yeah. to then go into Olympic lifting. Yeah. You had just lifted some weights and went, oh, I've been doing that for three years. Therefore, check, Yeah. move on. I can do this now. Now tell me how to get stronger at it. Yeah. And I think maybe the only reason I'm not like super fucked up is that I've taken the time to like always try to like why are my fucking shoulders getting tighter? Why is my back like this? And I, I take time to kind of like deal with it. Although I haven't been as good as I would like to be about correcting those things and making them like way better. Mm-hmm. Like I, I know what I need to make stronger, right? I, like I need a stronger knee joint and low back and stuff like that. That's what I should be working on nonstop. In fact, if I was going to take my own advice, I would just do a strength program for those things specifically and make those things stronger. Would you have known how to do that prior to finding the internal strength model? Or do you think you would have just continued on like maybe more specificity with the old strength manual, but still pretty much like, like, oh, single leg movements or... No, I wouldn't have known how to affect the joint specifically. Right. And that that was like... Which is probably what you need the most. Yeah, that, that was the key. That was the biggest revision was like how to think about your body, not in terms of exercise, but affecting it just through range of motion, right? And and contraction rate. Right. Because that, that is what you are. You're like a range of motion and a contraction rate basically dictates what you can do. And if you lack range of motion uh, or lack uh, or lack contraction rate, you lack strength. You know, like if I am not mobile, um, I'm, tending, I'm gonna get hurt in those ranges mm. that I can't get to. Um, and if I can't control the tissue, I'm going to get hurt too. I was watching a podcast a little while ago. It wasn't really a podcast. It was a snippet with Andrew Locke and Dave Tate. Oh yeah. yeah. They were working on his shoulder mobility 
And I mean, Dave Tate was an elite level power lifter yeah. a decade or so ago, maybe a little longer, you know, not the original, but in the context of the original guys at Westside. And he can't touch the back of his hand to like the back of his ass cheek. And I know he's had injuries and surgeries mm-hmm. and things like sure. that, but also like that is kind of where that sport takes you if you get to that level. Yeah. If you're not paying attention to doing all of the other things. Yeah, and I, maybe it's the same thing. Like you get so fixated on, I only have a certain amount of time that I can see my potential. You're really risking your longevity. Yeah, and I think at that time, and even when I power lifted a bit in like 2015, 16, mm-hmm. so a couple of years after that, you almost like start to become immobile and you're aware of it, but mm-hmm. you think it's a good thing. Yeah, it feels like strength. Right, because you're like, oh, now this like, that bench press groove is basically the only way your arms move. So it feels great. I mean, you can't do an overhead press, or if you can, you have an insane amount of like lumbar flexion or something to actually get the bar <laughs> past your face and then stick your head through while probably still maintaining that excessive yeah. lumbar flexion. Um, but I mean, that is the accommodation that'll happen if you take those things to that extreme. Yeah. And I, don't get me wrong. I don't think 12 years ago or whatever, if you're like, hey, Dave Tate, this is going to be really bad for you in 20 years. He, he yeah. would have told me, he would have punched me in the face. Yeah. I, I totally get that. You know, he probably sat down and accepted what's going to happen to him with the sport, as a lot of those guys did. You know, in hindsight now, who knows how they feel about it? Because getting out of bed every day and feeling like shit is, it's not fun. I mean, I had this conversation with some jujitsu guys. They were talking about Mike Musumenchi. Uh, somebody grabbed a straight foot lock on him at uh, the one championship a couple uh, it was probably a year ago now and they like popped his fucking ankle and he just took it right he didn't tap You're he right. just let him pop the ankle and the kid was like oh fuck he's not gonna tap so he let it go legitimately like probably damaged I don't know some fucking TFL or bullshit everything yeah and they were like, oh, I was so badass. And you're like, this one guy was actually really good at jujitsu. He's like, that was 50 grand on the line. I would let him break my ankle for that. I was like, would you though? I'm like, would you really? Like, because do you know what an ankle fusion does to you? Right. Like, do you know how fucking poor your life quality gets because you don't have like the ability to flex your foot? Right. And then everything up the chain. Yeah years later starts to also become a problem. <laughs> your knee goes, your hip. And I was like, you should ask Mark, because he knows Mark. I was like, you should ask Mark if he thinks it's smart to break your ankle for $50,000. He would probably pay a million dollars to have his fucking ankle back. Right. Right? Like that, what you're talking about is so absurd that you're going to damage your body for money. I was like, yeah. what the fuck? You're I a think, prostitute for sport. Uh, Danahar talks about that a little bit with his mm-hmm. athletes. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, I'll never tell them to do that. Right. right? That's an athlete's decision in the yeah. moment, and uh-huh. I can educate them on you know, what will happen or what it will be like, mm-hmm. but I'm never going to tell an athlete, like, if that's happening, just fucking take it, and yeah. maybe you'll get out of it or whatever. It's yeah. There's also like, well, it could also be the end of your career. Yeah, you do that to your elbow, you're super fucked. Yeah. If you think about a sport before, it was kind of a joke. The 40s and 50s, that was not your career most of the time. The reason the Soviets could do it is because they were, it was state-sponsored, right? You were doing it for the state. They're paying your way. That was your life. It was better than a factory. Right. All sorts of things. And you'd still have to have some kind of natural potential for it. And it's also widely revered over there. Yeah. In a way, it's not here. Yeah. I would say... It's revered in the same way that we do kind of artificially for soldiers and nurses or healthcare. Yeah, or just, I mean, even football, basketball, yeah. baseball. It's false heroes. Yeah. And you're like, 
Yeah, people sacrificing uh, their body in order to like win a goal or like that is not. You could say that that's the human. Story, but I don't think that it is. Like the person who figures out how to live and adapt to the circumstances that should be revered as like that. That's the prototypical human. Like figure out how to keep going. Like that. That the. The longevity key to this is the most fascinating factor. Nobody thinks that it matters until it's too fucking late. Yeah. And this is, I was trying to tell, because we're talking about like, look, there's a lot of people that call themselves a coach. And I go, awesome. Like, you're not, or like, you don't, you don't do the thing that we're doing where we're actually in it for the long game. Like you're, you're trying to improve somebody's life to the like nth degree. I mean, sorry to cut you off, no, but my dad's a perfect example. Yeah. He had what I believe they call a widow maker mm-hmm. um, two years ago now. Yeah. I mean, like a fairly severe heart attack, and he was out of the hospital a day and a half later with a stent. Because of his fitness. Right. Yeah. And that would that's like a very specific, if he didn't do that, yeah. it's too late because yeah. he'd be dead. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, he's been arguably obsessed with fitness since I've been alive yeah. and not in a way that's performative for other people to watch, mm-hmm. but in a way that's intriguing to him to figure things out. I mean, he's swinging a kettlebell, right? right. I mean, he, I, he got me into using a barbell. Then he got me into dumbbells. Yeah. Then he took me to a kettlebell certification. <laughs> then he found club bells and Indian bells. And now he's obsessed with the rower. And like, he kind of just like has gone through almost like weird, natural progressions of almost like oh this is uninteresting what's the next thing i mean maybe he's doing maybe he's naturally found the way to make the exercise work for him he, he's using the exercise to change himself yeah and i'm changing the exercise so i don't have to change myself well fair <laughs> the, i mean the, the interesting thing about it is like we put all of this emphasis on how important it is and and still, how hard is it to charge somebody $100 an hour to coach them? It's like telling somebody you're, you know, uh, you're taking the first board to, to charge them for coaching, right? Most of the time they don't value it because our society doesn't value it. Right. But I would argue that we do in a very weird way because uh, there's this really weird example. But like, have uh, you read, I've liked Peter, Peter Atia for a while. I haven't read his new book. I haven't either because fuck that guy. But... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, anybody, A, like, he was really, he's a phenomenal thinker. He really is. Like, he's almost too smart for his own good. To the point where, like, him and BioLane in a room makes me want to vomit. Because it's just, like, so much logic. Except nothing exceptional came out of that conversation other than the fact that you're, like, two of the smartest people on the planet are taking statins because of statistics. And you're, like, this is absurd. But what's interesting about his book, the Outlet book, and I haven't read it. I heard it's really good. Um, I don't refuse to read it. I just don't care. But I watched some of the interviews that he was doing like on Oprah and I was like, right, dude, he fucking made it. Like yeah. he was successful before cause he's a smart dude and he deserves everything. But now he is like a household name because yeah, yeah. of this book. Yeah. Cause what we've been watching or paying attention to him for eight years now, seven oh, years. God. I mean, maybe I, longer. I first got, so I first, I started reading his blog I want to say it was in 2013 or 14 because he was the first one who ever started using exogenous ketones. Oh, he was the first right. one who had like the actual esters. And I had been interested in that technology just because of Rob Wolf's background with it. And like I knew a little bit about it. So I was like watching it like and they were at the time it was like $7,000 a dose. And he taught he was the first one to write about how they like tasted like jet fuel. He threw them up and he ended up eating his own vomit because they were so expensive. 
I, I missed that. <laughs> Uh, so that that's like when I you know started paying attention to him, and he's always had really clever, good things to say. His evolution is great. He obviously went deep into keto and glucose monitors and all that stuff. I've been interested in, so I've watched him for a while. The fascinating, the, why, the reason I bring him up is because his book, and again, I haven't read it, but his background is like he's a cardiologist, so he's a you know heart doctor. Originally, it started as something else, but that's what he ended up with his degree, in, and he never really practiced. He went into um, <laughs> he went into finance, advised the uh, in two thousand eight or maybe it was two thousand seven. He gave them he looked at the numbers and told the bank he was working for like you're going to collapse. There's going to be a worldwide collapse. We're not getting out of this. And they fired him for it. And then two months later, it collapsed. And so then he left that and went I think uh, to uh, NIH or uh, one of the institutes for science research. Became a researcher. And it wasn't until he got into longevity, like being a practicing quote unquote doctor. I bring that up because if you <laughs> if you read what he's talking about, there's nothing medical in it, right? He's he's essentially telling you to exercise. That is the number one thing in his book. He tells you to get exercise. Which he just, from what I've heard him talk about, like just came to the conclusion that exercise is one of the most important things you could do the the like Be, absolute because he thought originally it was nutrition uh -huh. and he was huge into fasting uh -huh. like i think he did quarterly three to seven yep. day fasts, and now he's not against it like he would tell you not to right but it, he it's limited yeah he it's not what he thought it was while he was going through it yeah and now essentially he's telling you to exercise yeah you know how much he charges per client $150,000 a year. I think he deserves it. Sure. What? Because he's giving people the answer that they want or that they need. But the answer is really dumb. It's go to a coach and learn how to exercise properly. Right. And also, I mean, he's going to like sell you TRT and all the other shit. But like the fundamental of it is like you should be moving intelligently and, and, and literally like controlling the progression of your physiology. Have you ever watched his podcast with Jordan Peterson? Mm -mm. He, he looked, th there was a point where he asked Jordan Peterson about his diet and he, Peterson's been carnivore for yep. seven years now or something like yeah. that. Um, and he's the way Jordan Peterson described it. It's the best he's ever felt. Mm -hmm. He weighs, he went from like 205 to 165, which mm -hmm. was his high school walking around weight. Yeah. He can put on muscle mass easily. He can exercise. He doesn't have any issues. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like Atia was fighting him, but he was kind of like, well, have you tried like putting carbs back in or like, it's like he wanted it to make sense in the, in his head based on what he knows about nutrition. Yeah. And it was almost like everything Jordan was saying was not flying in the face of it, but almost perplexing in the sense yeah. of like, that's all he's done. And he feels amazing. I mean, this is the best since I've started following Jordan Peterson. Like he actually looks healthy. Oh yeah, for the first time. He doesn't and look like he's on his deathbed. He's always... also having not having like panic attacks on Twitter. Yeah, his depression's <laughs> gone. All his health issues are gone. Same with his wife. Mm -hmm. um, and it just looked like he was trying to like in the moment find a reason for it because he mm -hmm. didn't know one. Yeah, and I mean, he's fairly familiar with that too. I mean, regardless, like, I mean, obviously like, I have disagreements with him about all sorts of stuff. Although watching him change his opinion on COVID was pretty fascinating. I think the the main thing people should take away from it is that look how fucking valuable it is to know how to train yourself. Yeah. That's what he's saying. Pay me $150,000 a year and I'll teach you how to exercise. 
what the fuck? Why is it so hard to, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And then it also makes you wonder like how bad's the coaching industry in this country if one person can charge 150 grand when those people can easily go to a gym and pay $85 a month. What's funny is, I, what I find funny with it is, uh, I know the people that coach him. I'm like, I think, and we wonder if they're he's paying them $150,000 a year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Probably not. I doubt but you it. never know. I don't know. It's, I, it's whole fascinating. I mean, we can, I think it's a pretty good uh, thing on strength or whatever. I just thought I, I like, I keep coming back to him because I think it's, it's good that he's charging a lot because I think people are starting to realize that there's no fixes. Like there's no pills you can take, although fucking short chain peptides are insane. <laughs> there, there's no, like, there's nothing that's going to reverse your idiocy with movement. Right. I think and even if you thing. just took short chain peptides and then sat on your couch all day, it wouldn't work. You might feel a, a skosh bigger or Dude, better. My grandma is ninety three. She's been taking them for a week, and she was like, "What in the fuck?" She's like, "I haven't felt this good in like ten years." That's nuts. She just got a hip surgery, like a couple weeks ago, and she wanted to kill herself. She talked to me about it. Sure. She was legitimately like, "Michael," and I was like, "Man, hey, grandma, I felt so bad for her." And she was like in the hospital. She just fell and broken her hip. And that's a death sentence for most elderly yeah, people. Yeah. And she's like, you know, I was born in the depression. And then it got worse. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. And I was legitimately like, oh, she's like, why would I want to live anymore? I'm like, I can't give you a reason. Yeah. I get it. I was like, but you're going to have to find one if you want to fix this. Like, you're going to have to have like a. I want to do X. Otherwise, you know, whatever. And she worked through it. Like it was fucking painful to watch her go through this system. But she, she legitimately says that short chain peptides are the best. She's never felt that good. That's awesome. Aside from that, she is doing a lot of physical, physical therapy, which is kind of good, but that's what you have to look forward to folks. <laughs> I was born in the depression and then it got worse. Yeah. I mean, I think just about all of us can say we were born at a certain time and then it got worse. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, she's not wrong. Yeah. Like, dude, she's lived, she's a hard lady. Like, she has fucking been through some shit. Hasn't she, like, always gardened her whole life? Or, always, yeah. yeah. At, at 89, uh, that was the first time she had called me and she goes, uh, can you help me? And she had managed to drag this like hundred pound bag of soil out of her trunk and it got caught and she just wasn't strong enough to get it out. But she would like, she would literally drag this huge bag of soil around just to replant her rose garden. You know who she sounds like? Huh? You. <laughs> I only ask for help because I'm stuck and I'm like fucked up. Yeah. Fair. All right. <laughs> well, fuck. All right. That's it. You want to say anything else? No, that's all I got. All right. Sweet. Thanks, man. Yeah.